Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining me now, our ESPN MLB insider, Vermont native, Randolph Center. Don't call it Randolph. Buster only. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me again, Brady. Well, I appreciate you being with us. You know, we're we're very much in the Patriot zone right now. Pats have won five straight. They're seven and four. And I want to make a parallel comparison to baseball here. Um, the Pats feel like a team that, is just has this unbelievable team chemistry because they're all so new together. You know, they got a young quarterback, a bunch of free agent signings, some young draft picks that are all gelling. They feel like a baseball team where everyone's kind of come up through the minors together and then they just grow and ascend at the major league level. You see that a lot in baseball. You do, and in fact, as you were just talking, I, they actually the Braves of of uh, excuse me, the Patriots of 2021 remind me of the Atlanta Braves. Mm. Um, and what we saw this year, that you know that, you know, it, you start out with an incredible uh, culture within the organization. Um, and whether or not the Braves had won the division this, this year, that would have been the case. You know, you got Brian Snicker has been with the organization for, what, 35, 40 years. Uh, you know, Freddie Freeman, the best player on the team, you know, great leader. Uh, you just have such, you know, uh, tremendous coaching staff. And, and you felt like, I know – and I'm not a football, you know, reporter, but in watching the way that they were handling Mac Jones early in the year and watching the team just seemingly get better week by week, you felt like, you know what, by the end of this season, the Patriots could be really, really dangerous. My son is a crazy Titans fan. Yeah. Another team that's getting better uh, under Mike Vrabel. And we, we talked about that last night, actually, like, up. Oh, here comes the Patriots looking like that uh, they did that same year when Tom Brady took over as quarterback, just building as the year goes along. Yeah, and those two teams are going to play each other in uh, in week 12. So Patriots and uh, – or we, yeah, week 12, Patriots and Titans. That's the next Pats game. Uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday at 1. So your son will be nervous for that one, I'm sure. I do want to transition. There's a lot of Red Sox stuff going on right now. Nathan Evaldi ends up finishing fourth in the American League Cy Young race. $17 million a year. Dare I say, Dave Dombrowski got a steal on that contract. <laughs> and it's funny because you know this is that, you know, in the aftermath of that deal, because he got it after he had that amazing six-inning, uh, you know, a gutty performance in, in relief in Game 3 of the 2018 World Series, there was a lot of in the morning after regret uh, being expressed on behalf of the Red Sox where people were like, you know what, that, that deal wasn't so good. I, I got to say, I disagreed with it. I remember writing about that contract at the time and, and just having heard all the stories through the years about his devotion to work and, and his uh, self-deprecation and going through that and trying to find ways to improve. And that's all manifested. Like the, what we heard about uh, you know, Evaldi for a lot of years was that he had no movement on his fastball and he couldn't really evolve that much and he was someone who was always going to get hit hard. Well, you know what? He's changed because he keeps working at it and he's at a relatively young age. And, you know, think about the contract that Jose Barrios just signed uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays, seven years and $131 million. And then you ask yourself the question, wow, the Red Sox have Evaldi basically at an average of $17 million a year. That's a pretty good deal, like you just laid out. Buster, Eduardo Rodriguez, you were on this a while ago. You said the market would be robust. The underlying numbers were pretty good for Erod. He gets five years, $77 million from the Tigers. My, my question is this. 
Evaldi makes 17 million a year. I looked around the league. Hunjin Ryu makes 20. Kyle Hendricks makes 14. The going rate for, you know, slightly above average consistent pitchers is about 15 million dollars a year. Why did the Red Sox not want to pay that? Uh, and that is a great question. Um, and I don't think you're going to get an honest answer out of the people in the organization. I, if I were to to just speculate, I think it's because. They saw in moments from him where he didn't necessarily step up and, and meet a big moment. Uh, you know, I think the perception within the organization was to some degree that he didn't evolve while he at times had number one ace type stuff. He didn't necessarily exude the confidence that, you know, Chris Sale has, where when you give him the ball, you're like, okay, he's the guy. Um, you know, Pedro Martinez certainly had that where you felt excited to give Pedro the ball and you're like, he's the guy. Uh, and I think if you're going to give a pitcher the kind of money that uh, Eduardo Rodriguez got, you've got to feel that. And if the Red Sox didn't feel that and they didn't feel like that, you know, he was going to be a guy who eventually ascended into that, you can't blame him for doing it. I personally disagree. I think, uh, you know, I've seen players – uh, evolve over the course of their careers. The best example I can think of is Charlie Morton, who is kind of a back end of the rotation type guy, uh, perceived to be a little bit soft. And then he went to Houston and he figured some things out when he was in his early 30s. And now he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I kind of feel like Eduardo Rodriguez has a chance to do that in this contract with the Detroit Tigers. But the Red Sox certainly have been around them a lot more than I have. You know, I feel like it's a great deal for Detroit. You know, they've got so many young pitchers. They could use a veteran leader, a guy who's won, and, and the Tigers are an ascending team in the American League. We've spent so much time over the last couple of years talking about teams tanking and not being competitive. Does it feel like the American League is all of a sudden starting to get a lot deeper? The teams that were in the playoffs this year, Seattle, then the Angels, now Detroit, the Royals are upcoming again. It feels like the league is getting deeper as a whole. Yep, I would agree with you. It's getting more competitive. Uh, and I also think, I mean, let's face it, at the base of it, some of the teams that are, you know, have been cycling through, and this winter, for example, Oakland is – looks like they're going to trade off at stars and manage their payroll. You know, the Matt Chapman's and Matt Olson. But if you have a conversation with Billy Bean for two seconds about tanking, he hates it. And they have not lost 100 games. Oakland has not since 1991. Mm. Uh, you know, the Kansas City Royals have had conversations with Dayton Moore, their general manager, about it. He hates tanking. Uh, so even as the, the Royals have gone through the cycle since they won the World Series back in 2015, they're trying to compete. The American League East is stacked. Uh, you know, Texas is this winter's trying to do more. I think the Orioles are kind of an outlier in this division in in the fact that it looks like they're not going to try, which is why whatever the over under is on the Orioles next year, take the un <laughs> take the uh, the under because we are seeing so many teams trying to win in the American uh, American League next year. You know, Buster, we talked last week. I was not interested in the Red Sox getting Justin Verlander at the money it would cost and the draft pick compensation tied to him and his age. So, you know, I, I'm happy to see him go back to Texas and not come to Boston. But in the wake of Erod now being off the market and now Verlander's off the market, I look at the money Verlander got. I look at the money that Erod got. I look at the money that Noah Syndergaard got. And I'm like, this pitching market is crazy like I wanted the Red Sox to go after Carlos Rodon how much is that guy going to cost if Cindergard can get 21 mil right that's exactly right um you know I think he and keep in mind the White Sox decided not to offer give him a qualifying offer of 18.4 million 
I think that uh, by the end of the wintertime, we're going to look back and say that was a mistake uh, because the market is going to go so crazy. Uh, and that, to me, is going to be the question about not only the, the Red Sox but also the Yankees. Both teams need help in their rotation, and options are coming off the board quickly. And, you know, if you don't want to pay Kevin Gossman $150 million, you don't want to pay Robbie Ray $150 million, then you're going to need somebody else. And so both those teams are going to need a veteran at some point to land. We'll see how it evolves. You know, I've heard this deal um, structure kind of bandied about for other teams. I'm curious if something like this could work for the Red Sox. So the Red Sox don't have a ton of prospects in general, and they certainly don't have a lot of prospects they want to give up. Could they go to a team that's looking to shed payroll and try to get a good player but also take a bad contract? Like, could they go to the Reds and try to get Luis Castillo but also take Mike Moustakas' contract rather than give up a good prospect? Yeah, it's a great idea. Um, I, I suspect a lot of that, uh, you know, the Red Sox decision-making this winter is going to be tied to where the luxury tax threshold is going to be. Um, going into the future, that's not going to be determined until they have the next collective bargaining agreement. Uh, you know, we've seen the Red Sox, while they blew through it the one year that they, uh, you know, they won the World Series, and then the year after that, they have generally painted within the lines. But I think your idea is right on. And it's the sort of thing that I could see Heim Bloom. Um, you know, do uh, is something that uh, Andrew Friedman has done for the Dodgers after he left the race. You know, Heim, of course, worked for Andrew uh, in Tampa Bay. We've seen Andrew take on the likes of David Price's contract in order to get a deal for Mookie Betts. Mm. I, I think you're 100% right in that that's one of the options that uh, if you're the Red Sox, you can take a look at. And we also saw the Red Sox do this on a lower scale last offseason when they got Adam Adovino. They basically got a prospect from the Yankees in exchange for Adovino's $8 million contract. So Bloom has done this before. We've also heard now that Heim Bloom is into the shortstop market. We've talked about Correa. This week it came out about Javi Baez. Um, I understand the links to from for Baez to Boston. What do you think of Baez the player, though? Uh, I think he would do well, or I, let me put it this way. I think he would do better for the Red Sox than he would for other teams because of his connection with uh, with Alex Cora. Mm. Um, this is where Alex Cora's ability to connect with players becomes a weapon. Uh, there would be some teams, some situations where I would be worried about Javi, you know, because he, he, it's apparent, for example, we saw him in the last month with the Mets basically decide, uh, you know, you know what, I'm going to be more patient. And he benefited from having Francisco Lindor there um, uh, sort of beating on him on a day-to-day basis, saying, hey, let's focus here. Let's, uh, let's pay attention to this. I think Alex would do that for him. And I also the other thing, too, and you and I have talked about how they do have this looming issue with Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers and the, the fact that they're going to have to at some point change the makeup of their infield because it is so uh, challenged defensively. Um, and if you're going to do that, you better not be bringing in some rookie who no one's heard of to play, try to put him in shortstop or some utility guy. If you get a player of stature uh, like Javier Baez, you can go to Xander Bogart and say, look, we could make the team better in this way. If we put him in shortstop, we'll slide you to a different place and we'll be better as a team. That's going to make it easier to have that conversation. I think the same thing uh, with Devers. Uh, if you can say, for, and I, I'm just speculating here, I don't know if this is what they would do with Baez and Bogart, but let's say they were to say to Devers, look, we're going to sign Baez at short, we're going to put Bogart at third, and we're going to slide you over to first base, 
or to second base for that matter, then you know maybe that's something that Devers is going to be more open to as opposed to, again, bringing in an unproven player. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. The, the money so far has been crazy. It's been surprising to me. We've got this looming labor stoppage coming here when the CBA runs out on December 1st. So, one, we expect the sport to kind of go into a freeze. But do you think the money is going to be bigger after this or smaller? Because I'm kind of surprised to see these guys signing these big deals now. I would have thought they would have waited. I think the big guys are going to get paid huge dollars. You know, from what I understand, uh, you know, the word coming out from Corey, uh, Corey Seager's camp is that, you know, he's looking for $300 million plus. I'm, I'm heard that the word out from Correa's camp is that he doesn't want a nickel less than 341 that uh, Lindor got. Uh, I think Baez will be paid. I think Trevor Story is going to be paid. But I will tell you this. I think there is an enormous class problem developing within the union. And while these, the elite free agents are going to get paid big money, we've seen that so far, I think the middle guys are going to get destroyed. And I'll give you a quick stat. In 2014, uh, if you define the middle class by throwing out the top ten contracts in a winner and you know anybody at the bottom who makes a million dollars or less, if you define those remaining players as the middle class, that group has seen its average uh, contract fall from $11.8 million in 2014 to 6.2 million last winter, almost half. And I think again, those guys are going to get gouged the way this market's playing out. Wow, great insight as always, Buster. Only ESPN MLB Insider, Buster. Uh, we usually talk on Thursdays. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we're going to be off Thursday and Friday next week. So we will talk to you in two weeks. We hope you have a great holiday, and uh, we look forward to talking to you when we all get back together. You too, Brady, and I'll be up in your, you know, back up uh, at home, bouncing around Randolph Center and Addison and Burlington and a whole bunch of different places.